Hi, everybody. This is Dave Hodges. I'm the host of The Common Sense Show, as you know. And we like to think of ourselves as the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. We're going to be joined in this segment by Patrick Wood, and we're going to kind of do a year in review where they've been, where they're going, but also we've got some unfinished business with Agenda 21 that we're going to pop into and expose. And boy, does this need exposing. Anyway, wanted to let you know, we're brought to you by the best storable food company in the world. 70% off. We let you accumulate the food at your request in two and four week increments. So you can build up to that minimum of six months. And we really think you should have two years. 70% off, folks. 25-year shelf life. Check us out. Preparewithdave.com. And if you got food, you have to have water. And we got the Water with Dave package, the Alexa Pure Pro filter. 218 million of you have chromium-6 in your water. That's according to the research. You can get rid of that. Lead, pharmaceuticals, pesticides. Waterwithdave.com is the place to go to check out the Alexa Pure Pro filter. It's the industry standard, and it's on sale. Waterwithdave.com. Well, anyway, we got Patrick Wood, and he is no stranger to our audience, and we got a lot to unpack. And you'll get to know Pat if this is your first time hearing him as we progress through this particular interview. But uh, Patrick is well known for his work on technocracy. He attends many conferences, puts on his own conference, does just a tremendous job of enlightening the public. And we'll be telling you how you can follow his good work as well as we proceed through this segment. Pat, glad you could join us. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. Good to be back. Hey, let me ask you a general question. Where were the bad guys at a year ago, technologically speaking, and how far have they come in 12 months? In my opinion, there has been very little resistance against the pure form of technocracy in our country and around the world. And as a result, I think that, uh, that technocracy has made further progress itself. Uh, while most of the attention of our nation, especially, has been focused on Washington, D.C. and the circuses going on there for this last year. Um, and as long as people are focused on the political turmoil of our country, they will never see the threat of technocracy, which is an economic system, not political. So the technocrats in general in our country have made quite a bit of progress. Um, we see the censorship on the surface of it, for sure, the censorship that has taken place with Facebook and, and um, Twitter and mm -hmm. Google, others, Amazon. Uh, and we see a little bit of blowback against them, too. But basically, at this point, nothing has changed. I saw just today that, um, that Franklin Graham, uh, the well-known evangelist and son of Billy Graham, was uh, suspended for 24 hours from Facebook. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Do you know what he was suspended <clears throat> and, for? I mean, this is the most outrageous yeah. thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I saw it. It was yeah. the 2016 yeah. um, they're, they're, they're posting that he did. <laughs> their community standards uh, <laughs> lagging a little bit behind in timeliness by about two years. But what, yeah. what he was saying in part was no men and women's restrooms. Imagine that, uh, letting your little girl go to the bathroom and yep. trying to keep the men out. I mean, and Facebook thinks, well, that's okay. Let's ban anyone who thinks that way. Yep. 
<clears throat> well, of course, they apologized and they said we were wrong to do that, but the fact remains they did it and you cannot undo what they did. Now, and I'm, I'm, I'm just so glad they apologized, but here's the thing. This was not done by a manual sensor. There's no way that they can monitor things that happened back in 2016 by person. They, you know, once they set up their algorithms to their artificial intelligence uh, app-based algorithms to go into all of their posting that they have, that there's got to be billions and billions and hundreds of billions, perhaps, of posts. They basically turn the algorithm loose and say, sick them. And the algorithm just starts cruising all the posts and it starts taking down anybody that, uh, you know, that it crosses its path. And so apologizing after the fact is not enough. It's like, okay, how about some transparency here? How did they get flagged in the first place? You know, what if, if it was an algorithm, okay, why don't you say it was an algorithm that did it. Now tell us where the algorithm came from, how it's constructed, and how many other people are going to get nailed who don't have the political power that a Franklin Graham has to rally hundreds of thousands of Christians across America to raise Cain against Facebook for this. In other words, how many hundreds or thousands of people that are little players compared to Franklin who have put things up, who got banned and didn't have an audience to speak to? when they got banned. Maybe they only had 15 or 20 followers. Maybe they only had 200 followers. And all of a sudden, they get disappeared. All of a sudden, their posts aren't there. Whatever. You're never going to hear from them. You're not, you and I aren't going to find out about it because, you know, unless circumstance, there's no way. Those people are certainly running afoul of the very same algorithms that Franklin Graham ran across, right? Yeah, you, you know, they don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Nobody wants to ask that question. It's pretty obvious to me it needs to be asked. Well, it needs to be asked and answered. And yes. when, when I look at this, let me give you an example over on YouTube what happened to me. Um, I loved Penny uh, Marshall. I loved her when she was on screen. She seemed so wholesome and funny. And she produced some really good movies. And she just seemed like one of the good people. And so I did a tribute to her upon the news of her passing from diabetic complications. And YouTube banned it. Now, I appealed it, and eventually they reinstated it, but five days went by. Any revenue I would have realized was gone, and the story was no longer timely. And that's the YouTube side of things. Penny Marshall can't be championed as a producer and as an actress because she was conservative. I mean, how ridiculous does it get? Mm Mm-hmm. Same thing. Anyway, yep, it uh, is. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to drift back into the direction yeah. of technocracy, and I do agree with you. We are under a great distraction right now. The border wall, the government shutdown. I don't know how much any of this is going to change, but I will tell you what I'm really worried about changing is when I read about things in China where they're putting smart grid and smart technology in the clothing of their kids to monitor their thoughts. I kid you not, Patrick, that's what was on the couple of news articles that I read on this. 
And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, let me ask you a question technologically. Is it possible to image someone's thoughts on screen now from technology? Uh, they're talking about it. Uh, nobody has, that. I have not seen anybody demonstrate that capability, but they are talking about it. Mm-hmm. And they think one day that it will be a common, you know, uh, an easy thing to do once they have a few breakthroughs and, you know, current technology. Uh, they might get to that point where they can where they can read thoughts, but I'll tell you, they, I, I'm convinced they don't really need to read your thoughts per se, because they know enough about your behavior, they can fully understand your thinking patterns without reading your thoughts. And by you know constructing those predictive algorithms, right? Once they have it, absolutely, facts, if they can correlate look, if, to other things. Yeah, I agree. If they know where you go and they know what you do and they know what you buy or and or sell. And they know what you post when you post things on the internet or whatever. All that stuff's available to them to build a psychographic profile on you. And you know they have, Dave. I know you in particular know they built one on you, and they built one on me too. But um, they don't need to read your thoughts to understand what you're likely to do in any given situation. You're already declared. You, you know, all they need to do is look at the history of what you've already done. Say, yep, that's our Dave. We know what he's going to do when we release this story uh, or whatever. <laughs> Pat, Pat, I can tell you, they've got to sell for me a six by six that already has my name on it. <laughs> Probably so. It, it's a four letter word called FEMA and a second yeah. four letter word called CAMP. So, yep. I, I, you know, I'll be honest. Should I really, should I really cut to the chase here? I fully expect if the bad guys totally take over our government, that'll be my future re- re- uh, residence for as long as they let me breathe. <laughs> well, you know, technocracy in China, and China is a technocracy. Um, technocracy in China now is revealing itself. It's exposing itself in so many different ways, but. I would point to the province in in Western China that is primarily uh, Islamic. Now, this is not an Afghanistan. It's not uh, an Iraq or you know Taliban or anything else. But uh, there is a province that's, pre- that's predominantly Islamic, and <clears throat> um, China has decided they don't like these people. They don't like what they believe. They're not pro you know state. They're not pro-Politburo, and they're not pro-technocracy for sure. And they've set up education, re, you know, re-education centers, basically concentration camps like the old days. Mm-hmm. And they're shipping these, um, these Muslim citizens off for re-education uh, in these camps. And when they learn their lessons and whatever, they'll turn them back into society again. But so far... Nobody's really documented exactly how many people have been shipped off, but it's well into the hundreds of thousands at this point. And people are just getting plucked off the street and goodbye, you know, where's Uncle Mo? Well, he's, uh, we don't know. <laughs> he was here yesterday and he's gone today. Um, what do they do to these people in the camps? Do you know? Well, there have been some stories, uh, some authoritative stories, witnesses that have come out 
and said that they are doing things like forcing them to drink alcohol, uh, forcing them to eat pork and bacon, and doing all the things to break down their cultural sensitivity. Uh, to those types of things, their religious sensitivity to those things. And they're indoctrinating them in the rules of the of the country, which is essentially, you know, the technocracy rules. Um, and, you know, trying to wash out of their brain uh, all of their Islamic cultural background. That's it. Yeah, I'm not Muslim, but I find that uh, highly objectionable. <clears throat> And let me share what else well, I have heard. They're doing it. They're doing it to Christians too, Dave, and the rest of the country. That, they're doing that, the same thing to Christians. Exactly. That's where I was going to go with that. They're doing it exactly. with a group called the Fallen Gong. And yes. um, I've talked to Chris Kitsky, the former owner of Before It's News, at length on this because he's got inside connections to the mm-hmm. to this group. And not only do they put them in their labor camps, in their re-education camps, which are usually one and the same. They select some of them for live organ extraction. Were you aware of that? There have been stories on this, yes. Yeah, and, and I had an investigative journalist originally from uh, South Africa that had the fleas, now living in Thailand. I had him on my show, and he said the same thing. So it's not just the Muslims. You're absolutely right, Pat. It's across the board, and what they're doing is pure brutality. It is. Now, there's another interesting story that broke earlier this year about farmers in one of the provinces where there was some um, 300 million farmers are being relocated to cities summarily. The land will be vacated and in the same press release that uh, talked of a public-private partnership to bring in mechanized farming to farm all the land that was vacated by farmers that are being moved in the cities. Well, what do farmers do in cities? Never answer that question. There's nothing they can do. They're not educated. They have no skills other than farming. They may have farmed on their little plots for hundreds of years. That's all they know. And they're, uh, you know, 300 million people. People gloss over that. That's, That's almost as many people as we have in America. What if somebody said to Americans, categorically, 300 million of you are being moved to Alberta. Pack up and get ready to ship out. <laughs> would that be shocking? Say, yeah, that would be pretty shocking. All of you, get out of the country. Or you get, you know, whatever. Or, or else, if you don't leave, you'll end up with a, you know, a gun at your back and you'll leave that way. Mm-hmm. And if, if you refuse, at least in China... The implication is um, you will fertilize the ground that you grew up on when we shoot you. <laughs> That's true. I think you're referring to the opening part of that statement, uh, the Chinese ghost cities. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah. I, I've That's been right. writing about those, gosh, for about eight years now. They yeah. built them long before they wanted to use them. But mm-hmm. uh, two things. Did you know that Hank Paulson... Uh, former Secretary of Treasury and Goldman Sachs CEO. Did you know he was one of the brain children of this? Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I didn't, but I'm not surprised. Cameron Hank Paulson is a classic example of a global technocrat. Classic. Yeah, he, he, he clearly is. And 
The uh, other thing that I have been told is that oftentimes the Chinese military will show up in a rural village that they want to relocate, and they give the people a half hour to gather up their things, and they got the rifles mm-hmm. out and the bayonets attached. Yeah. Do you know about that, yeah. too? Yeah. That's, this, this has happened. These, kind of <clears throat> these kinds of things cannot be blamed on communism. This is not, China is no longer a communist country, even though tactics like that were not uncommon during the communist reign of terror in China. Mm-hmm. But the technocrats have a similar problem. How do you force the people to adhere to your vision of social engineering? You see, in the end of it, people have to be forced. That's the bottom line. People will not behave to their own uh, harm. And what, the, what technocracy does to people, it causes them harm. People will not go along with it. So they sweeten the deal a little bit with some rifles and bayonets. <laughs> That's, you know, this is totalitarianism, the same that we've had throughout the history of our planet, basically. You can see, you go back and read some, some of the Old Testament. You can see some of this in the Bible. You can see some of the same mentality with evil nations in the Old Testament, like, like Assyria, for instance. Horribly cruel when they conquered a people to wipe that people out and to force them to do what they wanted to do. They didn't have guns back then, but they had ways. They certainly do. And what I always look at here when I hear these and read about these Chinese stories where I have first-hand accounts, I wonder how close it is to happening here. And is the same groundwork being laid here which led to what's happening in China? So let's start with that last question first. Is the groundwork in place in America to usher in social credit system, ghost cities, relocation, re-education centers, where do you stand on that, Pat, as far as America is concerned? Well, absolutely. The technology that China has today that they're using to oppress their people, all of that technology is here. Much of it was invented here and stolen by the Chinese and advanced in their country. But we're capable of doing all the same things technically that China is doing right now. And you already have social credit score in, in, in many different instances here in America. For instance, <clears throat> when you walk into a Macy's store and you are recognized as a, a, a Macy's shopper, don't think that Macy's doesn't have a score on you as to how good a shopper you are and what kind of offers you will respond to, et cetera, what kind of coupons. They have you sliced and diced when they when you start when you first walk in the door. So we see this mentality is already here. Technocrats want to categorize everything and everybody, always. That's they this it's in their bones at that point. And so our government thinks that way right now. I mean, what about all the no-fly lists? What about all the lists that Homeland Security has? What about all the people that have been declared domestic terrorists? Isn't that a social credit score? How did how did Lavoie Finicum get tagged as a domestic terrorist when he never had a 
He never even had a traffic ticket. How did they come up and decide he, you know, he was, well, they analyzed his life and whatever and all the things uh, surrounding his life and they decided by some oblique formula that he was a domestic terrorist. That's the same thing as social credit scoring right there. And you see this mentality all throughout government and in, in private industry as well. Amazon's another good one that profiles people. They have, they have all of their people scored. What do you mean by their people? You mean their employees? They're, well, not their, their employees. <laughs> their employees have their own problems. I'm talking about their customers, Amazon okay, customers. Okay. Very good, yeah. Yep. That's, uh, wow. All I have to say to that is wow and wow again. And the reason I say that is because this parallels what I've been told by various people in intelligence communities that they tell me I've heard or I know. So some of it's rumor, but it's from inside sources yep. and who are well-placed. And some of them, Pat, are people that claim to have direct knowledge. And let me tell you the consistency that I get on this. And I'm going to put this in your ear mm-hmm. for future reference. Um, there's a psychological device out there used for screening. And, and I was trained on this in my training to be a therapist. And it's called the MMPI. It's 16 scales of independent measures of psychological function. And out of that, you also get an aggregate score. So you're scored in 16 different areas, like sociopathy, yep. you, know, you know, are you antisocial kind of thing. And then um, what has happened with the NSA that I've been told is they've adopted a very similar model. But they don't use necessarily mental health area critiques. They have 16 different areas with an aggregate score. And they're, what they're basically doing is creating a naughty and nice list. And Steve Quayle puts it very crudely but very accurately. Red list, blue list. Red list means, hey, when, when the stuff begins to change and the wrong people take over, these people are gone. The blue listers are the re-education campers. And no one knows what the level is, where it's set at, and who's naughty and nice that the NSA knows. And I've been told they share a lot of this stuff, necessary and pertinent information on key individuals, with Amazon and Google. Have you heard mm-hmm. anything about this yourself? I haven't directly, uh, Dave, but, you know, we, we know uh, that's only because I don't know the inner workings of, like, Homeland Security, for instance. But... But we know they're doing this because we can see the evidence of it when, you know, when stuff gets revealed about individual lists. Sure. And, uh, you know, the, the, the MMPI uh, criteria with, uh, with its uh, 16 facets, that's probably as good as anything to, you know, to put everybody into a little bin to you know, consider where they are, where their mind is, that sort of thing. But there's others as well. There's other means of, there's, there's other ways to classify people that, that might achieve just as good a result. And for all we know, they're using a half a dozen different things like MMPI, <laughs> you know, all in one big happy bundle. Um, but they have, the thing is, they have all the raw data they may not have the artificial intelligence yet to the power to analyze all the data that they're collecting, but that's coming. That's advancing quickly. But they do already have the data on every on every American that in, in our country. They've got extensive databases um, of, of all citizens in America right now, and 
So whatever they decide to do with it, however they want to slice and dice it with their algorithms, they will be driven to categorize everybody in the end, just like China. Hmm. I, I hear what you're saying, and um, the Chinese system, is it true that it was largely set up by Google technology? I don't think so. <clears throat> um, I, I, Google has had uh, a huge influence on China for sure, and that's partly because Google is also a very, very technocracy-oriented company. Um, and I should add, too, even though he's retired from Alphabet now, uh, Eric Schmidt is a member of the Trilateral Commission, so he kind of got double duty going there at Google. They gave up their original mantra called, you know, do no evil a long time ago, <laughs> for sure. And Google has never had a problem working with China because they're both technocrats, in my opinion. That's the attraction and affinity between them. But you have to go back to, I believe, to 1976 and analyze how China was brought into the global economic fold, by, in particular by Zbigniew Brzezinski. He's really credited as being the guy that, uh, <clears throat> that made negotiations with, uh, with uh, Chairman Deng. And uh, that was the point where China was welcomed back into the global stage and their transformation began into a technocracy because that that was the first project that the Trilateral Commission had was to convert China into its new economic, new international economic order, which we now know as technocracy. So all the stuff that's happened in China has been seeded ideologically by members of the Trilateral Commission. It's been financed and funded by these same companies connected with the Trilateral Commission. And the result that we have today is because of them. Now, saying that Eric Schmidt is a member of the Trilateral Commission might give you a little bit of context of where I'm going with this. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to say this for the listener's benefit, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and, Pat, this will kind of put you into, the, I think, the light that you need to be shined upon you. Uh, it was, I think it was 1980, and I was a young guy. Yeah, I actually was a young guy one time. And I got a hold of this book called Trilaterals Over Washington. And for those who have listened to the show, you know what I'm talking about. But for those who are new, you need to hear this very quickly. He co-authored, Pat co-authored this book with the late Professor Anthony Sutton. And it was such a stunning um, I, I can't even find words to describe it. It was so detailed on who really runs America. The, the documentation was overwhelming. I must have gone through this book until it just fell apart. And the Trilateral Commission was designed, according to this, to basically bring together the civilized world into one region, kind of, so to speak, economically and politically speaking. And the ultimate goal, of course, would be globalism. Did I characterize that accurately? That's pretty good. Yeah. And, yep. and, and Pat, what, I, what so impressed me about your book, you and Professor Sutton had unbelievable documentation on this. And so when you say that Eric Schmidt's in the Trilateral Commission, this is where my mind begins to connect dots back to that time frame, Pat. And yep. Google, uh, excuse me, not Google technology, but Chinese uh, smart grid technology, Chinese tracking technology, 
And I got to believe that when one has it, the other has it because of groups like the Trilateral Commission, and they'd be pushing technology sharing. Do you think that's true? There's no doubt, absolutely no doubt about that. And I, I couldn't, we don't have time to go into any stories here, but, but China has been accused of stealing U.S. technology repeatedly over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, uh, where there were whistleblowers, okay, like at universities, where whistleblowers stood up and said, hey, those Chinese professors are stealing these designs for whatever it might be, and you need to do something about it. When they got shot down, when the whistleblowers got shot down and ignored, uh, I won't say invariably, but in many cases, we traced that deep-sixing back to an involvement with a Trilateral Commission member that had some influence over that university's policy and said, tell that person to shut up. You know, there's just, just, you know, they, they didn't orchestrate the stealing, but they didn't want any whistleblowing going on either. And, um, you know, China, in my opinion, China was a, is a direct byproduct of trilateral commission master building, period. That's, I don't know how I could say it any more plain. Um, back when it was illegal for peop- for America com- American companies to do business with anybody in China, because at that point it was a communist dictatorship, and they were an enemy of our country, and it was illegal for any company in America to do business with China. One of the leading trilateral commission companies of that day, Bechtel Engineering, private company, by the way, based in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Bechtel Engineering had already, this is before China was normalized, Bechtel Engineering had already accomplished 18 major infrastructure projects in China worth billions of dollars, all illegal. Casper Weinberger was the chairman or the head of Bechtel Engineering at the time, an, an early founder of the Trilateral Commission. They raked off billions of dollars from China illegally Did anybody ever protest that Bechtel Engineering was trading with the enemy? No, never. Were those infrastructure projects critical to other industries being immediately exported from the United States to China? Yes, they were, of course. Why were all of the, why did so many industries completely vacate America and what was the nature of those of those vacancies? Well, if you if you go and analyze which companies had connections to the Trilateral Commission, they were the first ones to leave America and go to China. Wow. To connect the dots. I, it's not hard, it's all there. It's this it's in plain sight. Well, Bechtel is not a good actor either. It's interesting you'd mention them. Gosh, I, I can't remember the year now, Pat, but I, I'm going to guess 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. There was a Bolivian water crisis, mm-hmm. and Bolivia had defaulted on a World Bank loan, and mm-hmm. they said, your collateral, you know, was your water. And they mm-hmm. sent Bechtel in, and, oh, this is the group that came in and prevented yep. trapping of rainwater and the reuse of irrigation water. And yep. guess what, Pat? That happened in Colorado until the people rose up and forced the governor to repeal it. Yeah. 
I know. <clears throat> I, I had an, a long article that I that I wrote about the, the situation of Bolivia. In fact, I think it was in, uh, I can't remember if I put it in Technocracy Rising or not, but uh, Bolivia was a, was a classic case of globalism exposed and globalism gone awry because when when the water project failed when they failed to do what they said they were going to do they're going to they said they're going to you know improve the infrastructure they were going to lower the rates they were going to do all this good stuff for them <clears throat> and they didn't do it and the people got so mad that there was there was riots in the street people actually got killed and shot because they were just so distraught over how their water system the utility system had been wrecked and when when the, the partnership fell apart, when the public-private partnership fell apart, Bechtel and the other companies that were involved went back to the World Bank, which has started this whole thing in the first place. They went back to the World Bank to another, uh, to another, uh, what I want to say, division of the World Bank that wrote an insurance policy for, uh, for political uh, things gone astray and Bechtel filed an insurance claim with the World Bank to be uh, reimbursed for lost profits because of political turmoil. I'm, I'm, half, I'm laughing too, but you know what? When you really break it down, we're talking about the abuse of people of an entire country. And oh, they so raped them. They absolutely down. raped them. And because of because of Bechtel and companies like that, Bolivia said basically, screw capitalism, screw the West, we're going communist. And they did. And the poor country today is worse off than they ever were before. They never really knew it hit them. But these companies have raped the world, countries, entire countries in the world. This is what Confessions of an Economic Hitman was all about. Mm -hmm. This was this was the M.O. And I have to say, when they ran out of countries to pillage and plunder, when they spoiled the water for everybody else all around the world, there was only one place for them to turn their attention to, and that was the good old U.S. of A. So along comes a situation like Denver, no problem. <laughs> we'll go and we'll rape Colorado. <laughs> Looks just like Bolivia. <laughs> and I want to give the Koch brothers credit because they were part of that revolution. Oh, yeah. And um, other globalists <laughs> in that state as well. But especially Hicken, as they call him, Chicken Looper, Governor Chicken Looper in Colorado is very much a globalist, was behind that too. But here's, here's my point. I want to come back to the original theme. We look at these things that are happening in technocracy around the world and the corporate abuse and the application thereof, and I worry about the application to America. It looks like they're, they'll come in and try the programs that you and I are talking about that have been spawned in other countries, third world countries mostly. But then if the people stand up in unison, they back off so as not to risk major exposure in the public's eye. Do you see it that way, too? Yeah, I do. So I do. You and I have a lot of work to do. Pat. I think what I th well, we do. And I, I think when, when people can see historically how others have won't 
warned us that this is a scam. The whole thing is a scam. Mm -hmm. This this does not take a rocket science to figure out what's happened. If I could figure it out, anybody could figure out. Sure. The scam is in plain sight. It's 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 as big. Well, actually, it's bigger than Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. But it's hiding. It's in plain sight. It's right here. And people have told us over the years. There was back in 1992 when the Rio de Janeiro summit was held, the first Earth summit in um, uh, in Rio that produced Agenda 21. Um, there were many statements that came out after the fact on what how people had re had reacted to what happened in Rio, and there was one group of young people that had been invited they were all environmentalists they were invited to to audit uh, all of the meetings they had a carte blanche to go into all the meetings and stuff they were junior junior GIs I guess if you will mm -hmm. and one uh, young lady was selected to give her opinion to the General Assembly at the end of agenda of the earth summit and she was from Niro Nairobi uh, so I think about 18 years old. Her name was uh, Wagaki Wanji. And she worked for the International Youth Environment and Development Network in Nairobi, okay? So she's not probably would be our closest friend, but uh, hey, uh, she was there. She gave up and, and gave this statement to the General Assembly, and it left them stunned, David. Absolutely stunned in silence. She said the summit has attempted to involve otherwise powerless people of society in the process. But by observing the process, we now know how undemocratic and untransparent the UN system is. Those of us who have watched the process have said that UNSAID, that's the UN Economic Development Agency, has failed. As youth, we beg to differ with UNSAID. Multinational corporations, the United States, Japan, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund have got away with what they've always wanted, carving out a better and more comfortable future for themselves. Unsaid has ensured increased domination by those who already have power. Worse still, it has robbed the poor of the little power that they had. It has made them victims of a market economy that has thus far threatened our planet. Amidst elaborate cocktails, travailing and partying, few negotiators realize how critical their decisions are to our generation. By failing to address such fundamental issues as militarism, regulation of transnational corporations, democratization of the international aid agency and inequitable inequitable terms of trade now listen to this this was her closing statement dave and she said it emphatically my generation has been damned and she shut up and sat down <laughs> i wonder what reaction she got dead silence they were just stunned. Somebody got talked to for inviting the wrong person. You would think. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but there were other people like that, Dave, who gave their pointed opinions. The media never picked it up because it was against the narrative. I, I ran across this. I was frankly shocked. I'd never seen this before. I ran across this in an, ac in a, an academic journal 
that had actually had the speech transcribed. Oh and I said, oh my gosh, why did I ever see this? And there were others that said essentially the same thing. This whole thing was a scam from the get-go. A lot of people recognized it, but nobody else paid attention. And we need to listen to people like this. I don't. I probably wouldn't agree with anything this this other that this young girl had to do with, you know, with with. But I don't know. I don't know her. Maybe I would. But the fact is, she recognized that her generation had been damned by the Agenda 21 mechanism. That it was a is a fraud, a scam. Well, technocracy, and you know, under that umbrella, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, is about total control absolute and autocratic control. And I want to shift our discussion for a moment, if we could, to what's going on inside of France. And actually, it's spreading from France, but let's focus on France. The yellow vest. They started out protesting a fuel tax from a rogue climate change agreement with no scientific backing behind it. But they, even when the fuel tax was repealed by the French government, the people stayed in the streets. And it's clear to me they're revolting against globalism but i think ultimately aren't they in a sense revolting against what technocracy is going to bring i think they are rebelling against that and uh, you know they most of the people (laughs) riding over there uh, probably don't understand what you and i understand what we're talking about here um but they get they feel the heat that, that maybe that's the right way to, they feel the pressure they feel the manipulation they feel that they're out they're completely out of control of their own destiny and this has caused a level of frustration that has that has pushed them into the street with no other recourse they tried talking they tried writing they tried everything else they could do they got nowhere so they take to the streets and they start turning cars over and burning them, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they got their attention. But what's really interesting, like you mentioned, it isn't limited now to just France. Not only are they still on the street in France, but people showed up riding in yellow vest all over Europe and even into Great Britain. The movement is spreading. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and it's spreading even to leaders in the form of migration, which is another area that I want to touch on here with regard to this phenomenon. You have no less than Hungary and Poland, and I've been told Sweden's point, past the point of no return with its citizens. The French are on edge. The Germans are on edge. Angela Merkel is being driven yeah. from power. Egypt has come out. Brazil and Argentina have come out against U.N. forced immigration. Clearly, President Trump is on the opposite side of that issue as well. What is this? How does this, if it does, tie into the subject of technocracy? Wow. Well, my new book, the subtitle is The Hard Road to World Order. You might remember that uh, Professor Richard Gardner, back in 1974, wrote an article. He was an early member of the Trilateral Commission. He wrote an article for Foreign Affairs Magazine of that title, The Hard Road to World Order. And that article has been quoted many, many times by critics of the Trilateral Commission. We talked about it even in our own books, Trilaterals Over Washington. Mm-hmm. And he wrote, this is what he said back then. He laid out, the, we believe he laid out the, the, the plan at that point. He said, in short, the house of world order will have to be built from the bottom up rather than from the top down. 
It will look like a great booming, buzzing confusion. But an end run around national sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, will accomplish much more than the old-fashioned frontal assault. And this, this is what I call a pregnant statement. It's full of stuff. <laughs> when he talks about the house of world order, this is technocracy. When he talks about it has to be built from the bottom up rather than from the top down, he's recognizing that technocracy cannot possibly be built from the top down. <laughs> it's got to be built from the bottom up. That means you have to take the top away. In other words, you have to, uh, you have to do an end run around national sovereignty to dissolve the authority that nation states have in order to build technocracy from the bottom up. And when you do that, he says, it will look like a great booming, buzzing confusion. And I would suggest, if I'm not reading too much into this, I would suggest what we see going on in Europe right now with the Yellow Vest movement is a great booming, buzzing confusion. And while they think they are protesting a good thing, and they probably are, they are also at the same time playing into the hands of the technocrats that laid this plan from day one to strip down national governments altogether in order to implement technocracy from the ground up. Well, let me uh, take what you're saying here, and we're kind of bootstrapping these issues together, but let's talk about the spiritual component here to some degree. And, and, and here's, here's how I see it. God gives us free will. We either follow Jesus or we don't. And we're given that choice up until, you know, the final day. Yep. Now, people are born with inherent desire for freedom. Why? Because if we're allowed to choose or reject God, he has given us that freedom. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Jefferson was right. These freedoms are bestowed by our creator, not by government. And if you take that notion and you try to impose globalism through something, you know, pseudoscience like technocracy, then aren't you going against people's basic innate na nature and they're going to revolt anyway because they're not going to accept at their local level having their freedoms <clears throat> taken away? You're right. I think people will, in the end, revolt um, whether they're able to be... Uh, successful to displace the technocrats that at that point will have obviously a lot of control. I don't know. I can't see that far ahead. But you're absolutely right. People are and they are and will increasingly rebel against this scientific dictatorship. I mean, this is why we have trouble with our teenagers when they're growing up. They're no longer just simply imitating us. They're becoming who they are, and they want to exercise their own freedom. Yes. Hence, we get the storm and stress of adolescence with parental control. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I think this is what we're seeing on the planet right now with all these nations rising up. They're saying, excuse the French, pun intended, no and hell no. We're not going to be told what to do at the local level. And mm -hmm. then what was interesting to me is the stubbornness of some of these global leaders who are just, they don't see what's happening. Or Macron would not make statements like, patriotism and nationalism are bad true patriotism true patriotism is globalism in response to these riots and i'm thinking how well is that working for you there in your country 
<laughs> obviously not very well right now. Um, I, th- I think, Pat, this is the hope I have for humanity, that they'll, we'll, we'll kind of just like rely on our own inner sense for mm-hmm. a desire for freedom. And when people see what's happening at various times, they're going to rise up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we can hope that it has a good outcome for for the system. If, if the Constitution and our republic get destroyed in the process, that's not going to be a good thing for the world because we are the last bastion of freedom and liberty in the, in the world right now. I agree. And everybody, everybody else outside of America understands that. Most Americans don't. But people around the world are looking to us to solve this issue, to fix it, you know, to push back technocracy. I get emails all the time from other people in other countries that do get it. I mean, they understand what we're talking about here. They get it, but they also see that they're screwed. They can, there's nothing they can do about it. Um, there's something you know, I they would, can do, Pat. I think there is something they can do. Well, the yellow vests, for instance, are an expression of that. But I also think, too, I think the worst enemy of a totalitarian regime is not necessarily resistance. It's being ignored. Yes, and they're good at ignoring. They're very good at it. You know, I always found it puzzling when I studied original technocracy. Uh, they set up this map of what the original technate was going to look like. They had, had all of North America, Canada, and the United States, Mexico, all of Central America, and the top part of South America was all colored black and to be representing the, 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 the North American technate. And they were going to rule technocracy over this whole region. They never said how they're going to conquer these countries. How are they going to conquer uh, and, uh, Canada to go along with this, to become part of this North American technique? How are they going to conquer Mexico? And they never said a word about it, not one word. They just drew the map and said, there it is, folks. There's the map. This is what we're going to do. Now, that is so incredibly stupid and naive that somebody would not ask the question, well, what are we going to say to the Mexicans to get them to go along and become part of our technate willingly? Uh, and, the re- and these other countries, what about Costa Rica? What about Panama and all these other countries and stuff? Well, they never answered that question. They were so supremely naive in their belief that they were so right that everybody would flock to them. Oh, master. You're so good. You've got science on your side. You've figured it all out. We want to be part of your utopia. That's really the way they felt. This is the same attitude, by the way, that I saw in your good old friend, Hammer and Hank Paulson. When he pounded his fist on the table back in the financial crisis, I think it was 2008, demanding a blank check to bail out the big banks, know, <laughs> and he I got know. it, $750 billion or whatever it was, and he said, if you don't give me this today, we're all going under, and, um, you know, Paulson had this same kind of Pollyannish view of the world that, well, if I say it, it must be true, <laughs> and it must be good, and why don't you all just see the magnificence of what I'm saying I know. so that you all just lay down your resistance and come do this what I'm saying you should do 
This, this is the mind of a technocrat. Don't, don't you know who I am? Said Hank Paulson. And you know, ah. I remember he said, Pat, there'll be tanks in the street. And you know what I said uh, at the yes. time on my radio show? Good, because we'll tell those soldiers that come from mostly middle class families to point their guns at you because you're <laughs> the one that stole our country. Yep. <laughs> you know, and you know, it's funny, on a serious note, Iceland went through the same thing, and I have written about this three times. Yeah. And Iceland said, to heck with you bankers. You're all going to jail. And they put these people in jail for money games, Ponzi schemes, which is what the credit swap derivatives were that broke our economy. And mm-hmm. in, what was it, four years, they had a GDP over four. And Obama, well, we know how his <laughs> GDP went. And, and, and so, because we're talking about the transition period between Bush and Obama, when the, when the crisis happened, what a good time to pick it to happen. Like, do you think things are accidental? They're not. Mm. But, Pat, when you look at that situation, the Icelanders showed us what we should have done. And if we, we should have, have. If we have another crash in 2019, you and I have a lot of educating to do about let the house collapse. Yeah. Because they control us when they create the crisis. And then that's what they call the, the old Hegelian dialectic. Create the crisis, yeah. and then what do you do? You know, give the solution. That's right. That's right. And the, the only solution, by the way, on the table is sustainable development, which is technocracy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the United Nations will never budge from their position that the ultimate solution is sustainable development. And if you all would just get out of the way and quit, you know, quit trying to support capitalism and let it go, you know, sustainable development is the answer for the whole world. Let us run the economic system of the world and you won't have any problems. Yeah. Sorry, guys. You're absolutely right on that. And that's the selling point. The problem is, though, right now, I don't know how you feel about the numbers. I estimate 50% of Americans are still kind of in the I don't know and I don't care phase because they haven't been blistered enough like the French saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're gonna, more and more of them are jumping on. I mean, do you think the numbers connected to the independent media movement, which is, you know, truth and reporting, constitutional principles should rule, uh, what kind of nation are we, we need to maintain that nation and not acquiesce to foreign powers in the UN. Do you think our numbers are growing? I think there's more people involved in what we might call the resistance than there were five years ago. But I'm not at all certain that they're more educated like they need to be as to what they're really, you know, what's really the issues are. And I will say again, in fact, my wife uh, gave me a nice um, leather bound copy of The Art of War by Sun Tzu. <laughs> I got it on my desk right here. And uh, he, he was a, a, an ancient Chinese general who wrote this masterpiece, timeless masterpiece called The Art of War. And he says in it very clearly that you cannot you cannot sustain a victory over somebody you don't know over an enemy that you don't know and understand and by and large the resistance is still kicking and spitting at Washington D.C. over political issues they will never ever ever see technocracy as long as they are consumed by political hatred and bitterness they will never ever see technocracy and so we kind of have a, in my mind, we have a two-pronged thing here. One, we need to get people's focus off of Washington, D.C., which is very addictive, I might add, because anger is addictive. 
and you know people get addicted to the television because it gives you a dopamine rush. When you get really angry and just your face turns red, you've got dopamine pumping, just like you just like as if you took a hit from from cocaine. And that you you do that every day for 30 days, and you're going to find out the 31st day you just have this this urge to go turn the television on, so you can get more more hit, and it's free, you know. But still, it consumes you. We got a nation of addicts right now that are addicted to anger and to politics. <clears throat> they will never see tech. They'll never see technocracy until they get over that and turn away from. In other words, you're, you're saying we got to get beyond the superficial symptoms of we're being abused and I'm mad as hell about it. To yep. we have to understand the reasons behind it so before we can undo it. <clears throat> yep. Well, I expect from your counseling background, you know how destructive anger can be. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Inter- it is internally, totally, externally, absolutely. To, it, that's right, totally destructive. It can ruin a person's life completely, take them down to the ground. <clears throat> but if you if you encounter an angry person. Um, depending on, of course, what they're angry about. Some sometimes it's just flat out a spiritual issue, but and they need to deal with that, not just anger. <clears throat> but when when you when you channel, if, if I can use that word, channel, if you channel your anger in a constructive way, it can become very efficient at getting things done. But we haven't done that yet. The anger is not channeled towards anything. It's just anger. It's just shaking shaking fists, hollering, screaming, complaining, whining. It's not productive anger. It's not constructive anger in any way. I think people probably need to be upset at these people and what they're doing, yes. But until they take that energy and focus it towards them for some, you know, some way to throw a monkey wrench into their little parade here um, we're not going to have any results you're just going to have a bunch of angry people running around yeah. and America is going to be more and more divided I agree and uh, we just have a, a few seconds left here Pat we appreciate you being with us but I want you to tell people where they can go to get educated about these underlying causes with technocracy that lead to the anger wow. how can they follow your work well, you know, it's good that people would follow technocracy.news. You can get on the mailing list there and get daily articles that I post from all over the world. But more importantly, you know, I've written two books now. <clears throat> They're available on Amazon. Just, just type in the word technocracy and you'll find both of them on, at the very top of the list. Um, both of these books are heavily documented. Uh, between the two of them, there's 600 or so footnotes and a bibliography. Take this material as ammunition. You've got to read about the enemy and find out who he is, what's going on. If you if you read Technocracy Rising and the and my my new book, The Hard Road to World Order, and if you don't agree by that time that I've connected the dots for you as to what's really going on, that you're just not paying attention. That's all I can say. You're just not paying attention. But it's all out, the information is here. We've gone to great planes, pains to get it out to where people can buy it. 
and it's it's not an easy task to write a book like this, Dave. I got to say that I am not. I know. I'm not such a natural-born book writer like like a, maybe like Michael Savage is, where I can write you know 45 books in my lifetime. Forget that. That's not me. Blood, sweat, and tears for every book I've ever written. <laughs> it's just not easy. I hear you. But yeah, Pat, okay, my these friend, books are out there. Get them. We're gonna get them in Amazon. Put in Technocracy. You'll come to Pat Wood. Yep. Pat, what's your website, real quick? Technocracy. That news. Okay, we've been joined by Pat Wood. What a quick segment this was. Fantastic. Pat, thanks so much for joining us, and Happy New Year to you. Thank you, Dave. You too.